Welcome to Woodlawn. We're so glad that you've joined us. Now, I want to begin today by asking you a question. If you could talk to Jesus Christ for 15 minutes, what would you ask him today? Would you ask for protection? Would you ask for a new job? Would you ask for money? What would you ask? The disciples in Luke, the 11th chapter, ask a question of Jesus. And here's what they said. Lord, teach us to pray. Because they saw the prayer results in his life. The disciples watched Jesus preach great sermons. They watched him perform miracles. They watched him heal the sick and even raise the dead. But once they had a chance to ask him something, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't ask to preach or for miracles or raise the dead, but they were focused on prayer. Now, the worst misconception about prayer is that it's a religious duty and it's motivated by guilt. And that leads to where you ask the question, why do I have to pray anyway? It comes as something that you endure rather than something that you enjoy. Today, I want to ask this question. When does God want us to pray? And the first thing that we're going to learn about prayer is that we're supposed to pray in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit means to pray enabled by the Holy Spirit. In Romans, the eighth chapter, it tells us in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Improving our prayer lives is not simply a matter of trying harder. Our relationship with God grows closer and more intimate as our understanding of who God is becomes real to us. Now, the more time that we spend with God, the natural, the powerful, the meaningful, the precious time, all that becomes. In the Gospel of John, in verses thir- or chapters 13 through 16, Jesus' last words to his disciples, one of the most significant things he says is, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to be resurrected, but I'm going to go to heaven. But then he said, I'm going to put my spirit in your lives, the Holy Spirit, and you can still talk to me even though I'm not here physically. You can talk to me through prayer. Prayer is a declaration of dependence. Now think about that for a minute. Every time that you and I pray, we are showing God that we really do depend on him. It's our way of saying that, Lord, this proves I'm depending on you. Jesus says in John 15, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. It also says in John, the 15th chapter, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you. Now, I want you to think about deep sea divers. I I don't deep sea dive, but I've been told that when you have a group of deep sea divers, sometimes they'll let down the diving bell and it will be down 800 feet underwater. And the only link between the divers under the water and the surface above is an air hose that's in that diving bell. The hose is a lifeline. It's a support system. It's a connection between those above and those below. Likewise, prayer is a support system. If you cut it off, you'll run out of spiritual air. 
Prayer is an act of dedication. It shows that we depend on God. The second thing that we learn is that praying on all occasions is what we're called to do. Bringing all of life to God and bringing God to all of life. God is conscious of us all the time, and he wants us to be conscious of him all the time. God wants to share his life with us. Praying on all occasions means sharing our thoughts and feelings and our experiences with God. There are no times in life when it's inappropriate to pray. Whether we're happy or sad, content or challenged, whether we're at work or on vacation, spending time with friends or dealing with enemies, prayer is always appropriate. Now, Jesus modeled prayer for us by praying at every major moment of his life. Think about it for a minute. He prayed at his baptism. He prayed when he was tempted in the wilderness. He prayed before and after feeding the 5,000. When parents brought children to him, he prayed. Before he raised Lazarus from the dead, he prayed. At the Lord's Supper, he prayed. In Gethsemane, when he was facing the cross, he prayed. And even on the cross, he prayed. And many other times, he prayed. Some people think prayer is a first aid kit, that it's only to be used in emergencies as a last resort. But Jesus taught us that prayer needs to be the first thing that we do. We have a hard time believing that God is really interesting, interested in the details of our lives. Does God really care about me making my car payment or my house payment or buying kids my clothes for school? That God cares about the guy at work who irritates us or the back problems we have or are going through a transition? He does. When we fully discover how much God really loves us, prayer is no longer a problem because we talk, we love to talk to people who love us the most. Now think about it. The people who love us the most are the ones we want to talk to the most. When my grandfather was still alive, I used to love to go and visit him because I could sit down and talk to him. He would ask me questions about my life, and he would listen very patiently as I talked about things, and I always enjoyed those conversations. I always wanted to make him proud of me. In some ways, God is like a loving grandfather. He cares about the details of our lives. He's always interested. God cares, to, and he, won't, he will listen to you and not interrupt as you pour out your heart to him. Think about this. God is never bored when you're talking to him. Wow. I mean, I can bore a lot of people, but God is not bored when we talk to him. The third thing is that we're to be praying with all kinds of prayers. They're meant to be a part of our prayer lives. Now, I want you to think about the acronym for ACTS, A-C-T-S. I want you to put it in that order. And when you pray, you can begin with A. A is for adoration. C is for confession. T is for thanksgiving. And S is for supplication. Supplication for ourselves is called petition. We're petitioning God for our needs. Supplication for others is called intercession. I'm intercessing for other people I'm praying for. And prayer is a relationship. It's the conversational part of our relationship with God. 
Our communication with God is not just a time for us to ask him for things. That's why it's good to have that little outline, A-C-T-S. It's not just, Lord, give me this and give me that, but we're trying to incorporate all elements of prayer. In Philippians, the fourth chapter, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the result of asking your request in prayer will be you'll have peace of mind. Don't you feel better after you prayed about something, lifted it up to God, and known that he has taken it, and now you don't have to worry about it. You can just give it to him. <clears throat> in John 16, it says, Ask, and you will receive. And then it says this, And your joy will be complete. That's what I'm talking about. When you pray and you lift it up to him, then you have joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Prayer is our way of making our requests known to God. In James, the fourth chapter, it says, You do not have because you do not ask. Over 20 times in the New Testament, the Bible says, Ask. In Psalm 145, it says he fulfills the desires of those who fear him, and he hears their cry and saves them. Not just the needs, but the desires. Isn't that wonderful? He's not just meeting our needs, but he will even give us the desires of our hearts. Why? Because when we reverence God, we're pleasing him. In Psalm 37, it says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 84 says this, No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. The fourth thing that I want us to see is praying with alertness is what we're called to do. It means praying with an awareness that the Christian life is really a war. Now the word there for alert is the same word that's used to describe a sentry. A sentry is a person posted on watch, and they're there while their comrades are sleeping. They're supposed to be there to depend on to watch. Ephesians, Paul uses the imagery of a soldier putting on armor to go into battle. And he's referring to a person's prayer life and putting on the armor of God so that it might protect us from the enemy. The phrase to put on in the Greek word that's used there means it's a gift for you to put on. It's not something you buy or get from some other place. All we can do is receive it from God. Paul tells us to put on the whole armor and not just pick two or three pieces of the armor because you wouldn't see a soldier going into battle partially armed. Paul doesn't say carry your armor along with you. For it to work, you've got to put it on. And now there are six pieces of armor that he mentions and he tells us to put on the whole or the full or the complete entire armor of God. The first one that we're to put on is the belt of truth. You see, your belt connects to everything else that you wear. And so when you put on your armor, you've got to have your belt or your sword might fall off. Now, the belt of truth is the cord that holds everything together that God wants us to have in life. 
We need truth because in the world there's a lot of falsehood. The one thing that plagues society today is an imitation of the truth or a half-truth or a false truth. Did you know that three or four hundred years ago, people didn't wear hats or caps, but they would wear a hood? And the color of the hood and the kind of hood that they wore determined what they did for a living. But they discovered some people started doing fraudulent things. They would put on a hood that they were not qualified to do. In other words, they would wear a color that they really weren't trained. They didn't know how to do what they said they were doing. And sometimes they would use those hoods to steal from people. And that's where they came up with the term falsehood. A falsehood is something that appears to be one thing, but it's another. It really isn't that thing. A falsehood is an imitation of the truth. The truth is not just the absence of telling a lie. Sometimes you can say things and not tell a lie, but you just don't tell the whole truth. It's a half-truth. Many people today don't believe in absolute truth. They just say everything is relative. <clears throat> but Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. There's only one embodiment of truth this morning, and it's Jesus Christ. If you want to settle for anything less, you're going to have a half-truth or a partial truth. When you put on the whole armor of God, you begin the, with the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, after you put on the belt of truth, you put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was to be worn across your chest, and there were many darts and javelins and arrows, the Bible said, and without a breastplate, your chest would be vulnerable. If the heart is pierced, then you die. Sometimes that breastplate would be an inch to an inch and a half thick. And Paul is saying that our breastplate as Christians has to be righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is a right relationship with Jesus Christ, whereby we live right with him in what he teaches. Many of us do that, and we have to pray for a right relationship to develop. The thing that protects our hearts is the way that we live. You know what the world is saying today? It's not what you preach about, but it's how you live. You see, that really shows our love for God. If we're faithful and obedient, if we pray to God, if we're doing the things he's teaching us to do, then we really show him our love. You know why so many Christians fall on their face and get run over by the devil? Because they don't have on the breastplate of righteousness. Now the third thing is to put on the sandals of peace. The equipment that the soldiers used where they could move quickly and effectively and with great ability, they had to have sandals that would do that. The good news is we can move quickly and effectively when we share and go out and share the good news of Christ. In Isaiah 52, the scripture says, and Paul, this must come to his mind when he was talking about it, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace. In other words, he's saying they're going out, they put on their sandals of peace so that they can proclaim peace to others. A soldier is not out there to create war. A soldier is trying to keep peace. In order to walk with the sandals of peace, we'll have to get down on our knees and pray. When we get upset with people, if we're not careful, we'll retaliate. But it's not important what others do to us. What's important is how we respond. I always respond better after I've prayed. Do you have on the armor? 
Do you create peace or turmoil where you go? Do you create encouragement or do you create criticism? Are your feet shod with the sandals of peace? Now the fourth thing we see is the shield of faith. Well, there are two kinds of shields they used to have back then. The soldiers had a big shield, and then in front of it, they had this little loose shield. And when they would shoot a fiery dart into it, it would go into that first little shield, and it would be snuffed out. Well, now he's saying you better have a big shield because when those darts and arrows and javelins come at you, you'll be protected. You needed both of those shields. When we put on the shield, it's the shield of faith, and it will protect us. Now, the fifth thing is the helmet of salvation. Our heads need to be protected. That comes through a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We know Christ because of our prayer life with him, and he enables us. He saves us. In John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but it will have eternal life. Paul says we need to put on the helmet of salvation. And finally, there's the sixth thing there, the sword of God's word. To read and study God's word, he's saying we must know God's word to know his will. And the Bible says that his word is like a two-edged sword. When you go into battle, you carry that sword with you, and that's part of your armor. And as we pray, what happens is God illuminates his word and reveals himself to us. He speaks directly to us. And that's why it's important for us to read the scriptures for ourselves. I can tell you about it, but it's more important for you to read it every day by yourself. God invites us all to put on the whole armor and stand firm. Are you prepared? Do you have on the armor of God? You'll need it to go about his work. And to do that, you've got to pray. Now, there is nothing the devil dreads as much as prayer. When you and I pray, he gets upset. He laughs when we toil. He laughs at our wisdom, but he shakes and trembles when we pray. In John, the 14th chapter, it says, Jesus says, believe, when I, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And he goes on and says this, very truly I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I want you to catch what Jesus is saying there. He's saying that we can do not only what Jesus did, but even greater things than him. He's saying if we believe in him. Now, the fifth thing I want us to look at is praying always for others. When we're praying for others, that requires us to have selfless, intercessory prayer for other people. It's a way for us to release God's grace and power in other people's lives when we pray. Prayer is God's way of providing spiritual protection to believers. Jesus apparently thought that prayer was important for protection. In John 17, Jesus prayed that the Father would protect his disciples after he left. In Luke, the 22nd chapter, he also prayed specifically for the protection of Peter against the enemy. Now, always means being faithful and persistent in prayer for others. D.L. Moody was a great pastor, and he once said, every great movement of God can be traced to a single praying kneeling individual. 
Can you imagine being the one person who prays and God responds to that in prayer and he moves mightily? Because of your faithful obedience, that's amazing to me, and yet I believe it's true. God wants our relationship to be that kind of relationship where we are a trusted confidant. And our attitude can be, I can't wait to tell the Lord what happened today. Even though the Lord knows we're just so close to him, we want to share it with him. Oftentimes in life when good things happen, we just want to share it with somebody, right? Well, why not share it with the Lord? He celebrates the great things in our lives more than anybody else does. Our goal can be to begin to think the way he thinks, to hear the way he hears, to speak the way he speaks, and to love the way he loves. Now, Laura and I have been married for 40 years this December, almost 40 years, just a few months away. And sometimes we finish each other's sentences. She knows what I'm thinking, and I know what she's thinking. Often, when one of us says something, the other one will say, I was just about to say the same thing. Now, if we can be that much in sync with one another in marriage, imagine how much in sync we can be with our Heavenly Father. Prayer is a way of making that happen. It's a way of life, and it just gets sweeter and sweeter as time goes by. When does God want us to pray? Anytime and always. Think about it this way. He wants us to pray as often as breathing, and he's always available. Are we? Let's pray. Lord, we just pray that we would be available to you just like you're available to us, that we would turn to you in prayer, that it would show our dependence upon you, that we would show you our love for you and our obedience by spending time with you, by listening to you, by allowing your spirit to speak to us, by listening to what you have to say, and by pouring our hearts out to you. Lord, we always love to talk to the people who love us, and nobody loves us more than you do. Thank you for giving us that privilege. You're always available. We can always come to your throne. And we, we don't take that for granted. We appreciate you, Lord. And we just pray blessings today for all that they might hear your word today and respond to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.